basketball. He's physically big and strong and quick, and, and the kid can jump out of the gym. But in the very first series, in 30 seconds into the game, Zion coming across the foul line made a cut and his shoe ripped apart, causing an injury to his knee. Just like that, he was done for the game. The next few days are, are filled with replays of his, of his foot sliding out of the shoe. Talk about the billions of dollars that Nike lost in the stock market and how Zion should sit out the rest of the season so it doesn't interfere with his future NBA career. And there was a little talk about President Obama's jacket that he wore. There was so much talk that they began to look for different ways to explain what happened. And, and my favorite is that his shoe exploded. It just fell apart. The environment of a college basketball game is celebratory. It's loud, it's exciting, it's fun. And add to that a rivalry that is long established, separated by just a few miles, the nation looking on, throw in overpriced tickets, the 44th president in, attention, or in attendance, and, and poorly stitched Nike shoes, and, and you have the makings of a great sermon illustration. The basketball world currently is in the midst of Zion worship. NBA players are tweeting to him, celebrities are flocking to his games, major companies are trying to set themselves up to have as an endorsement later on, talk shows are spending huge amounts of time discussing every move and decision he makes. Yesterday I literally read what he had for breakfast. So much worship, so much time given, so much money spent, and in a mere 30 seconds... He's on his floor. He's on the floor just holding his knee. We're going to spend our time this morning looking at Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is titled A Song for Giving Thanks. And and I know what you're sitting there thinking, you're thinking, Scott, it's it's about praise and giving thanks. Where's the suffering, the pain, the misery? Be patient. In a couple of weeks, we get to Psalm 102. And then we can touch on those topics. But this morning, we're going to build a foundation that we will use to stand upon as we get to Psalm 102. So I want to take a, a few moments here and reread Psalm 100. I will not be singing it either. But this is, this is what we read earlier. Psalm 100, starting at verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. And His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I want us to notice seven commands in this chapter. Through these five verses, there are seven commands. And, and depending what translation you use, you can see things like shout or make a joyful noise, worship or serve, come, know, enter, Give thanks, 
praise or, or bless his name. These seven commands that we see here, they really serve together as the spine for this chapter. They, they hold it all together, much like the same way your spine holds you up and together. And, and these commands are pointing us to worship. And, and if we allow them, they can even refocus the way that we worship. And this is why it's important to sit in Psalm 100. If, if we spend our time with just suffering and anguish and discouragement without a proper focus, without a proper understanding of what worship is, then we have no hope. But, but we do have hope. And our, and our, and our hope is, is worthy and it should be shouted about. And it deserves a joyful noise. And, and we see here, we see here the reason for our worship in, in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness is to all generations. You see, this, this reminder is, is helpful. It, it does help us refocus our worship. God is good. In a few seconds, the player that they all came to watch, that they all tuned in for, was limping off the court and back into the locker room. Our God, the one that we truly are called to worship, endures forever and is faithful to all generations. That, that can help and should help with our perspective. God is good. And, and, and this is reason that we, that we shout, that we worship, that we come, that we know, that we enter, that we give thanks. And, and it's one of those things that's really quick and easy to say. Right? It's quick to share. It's, it's an easy bumper sticker quote or a tweet or a post. Right? God is good. I mean, you can even get people to respond back. All you have to do is say, God is good all the time, all the time. It's easy. But to really believe that, see, that's something altogether different. To allow that truth to shape the way that you worship, it requires a little more effort and a little more thought. Everything that God has created that is for our enjoyment, that He made, it was good. Everything that God had created to sustain us is good. It's all evidence of His goodness. We see this in Genesis chapter 1. And, and God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. Be amazed that, first of all, He could see everything that He made. And be astonished that it was all good for us. Acts 14, Paul actually writes, he says, Yet did he not leave himself without witnesses? For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. As I wrote that this morning, as it poured, I was reminded of how thankful I should be for rain. I, I came across a, a testimony. This is what this gentleman wrote. He said, Where I came from, he brought me. What I know, He taught me. What I have, He gave me. What I am, He made me. And where I'm going, He's going to take me. And I would, and I would add to that, it's because of God's goodness. 
And we also see here in verse 5 that, that his love endures forever. Think, think just for a moment about the love that you have received in your life. And I totally recognize for some of us, uh, there is certainly more love that has been shown than for others, but, but we have been shown love. It has been displayed for us at some point. As a young boy, I might have been about seven or so, I was, I was invited to spend the weekend at my grandparents. It's the only time I remember being invited to spend the weekend. But I got to spend the weekend by myself. No cousins, no siblings, just me. Now I spend every weekend there because I live in that house and it, it's not as exciting, but, but it was just me and them. I, 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 got to, I got to sleep in the sofa bed in the den. I got to stay up late watching The Tonight Show with my grandmother. But the best part, the best part was I got to go out to the workshop with my grandfather and we got to make ducks. See, my grandfather carved ducks and birds and geese and fish from wood. And it was an amazing moment that I could not just help, but I could paint and I could even sign my initials on the bottom. We made two ducks that day. We made a drake and a hen. And I remember feeling so special. Oh, so special. And I loved, loved that moment. Still have those ducks You see, those moments, no matter how special, and no matter how tightly we hold closely to them, they fade. I don't remember it as well anymore. Those moments are are just not meant to last forever. But the love of God endures forever. It never fades. It is not meant to be fleeting. It's meant to last. God's love does not come and go with passing moments. It is not based upon His mood. His love for His people is never failing and never ending. And it deserves us to shout about. A a love never failing, a a love that is enduring forever, is something that we can struggle with. I know I struggle with that. I mean, where else do you see this? We don't. The, this broken world is, is full of heartache and disappointment. It's filled with broken promises and very deep scars. Because of the love that we receive in this world is not perfect, it can easily take us away from this truth. And, and it needs us, and it calls for us, and we need to refocus the way that we worship around this. But in God's goodness... He's provided us with perfect love. A love that will cover those wounds like a healing balm. A love that is not fleeting, uh, but a love that will sustain itself throughout all eternity. You see, God provided us with salvation. In the midst of this shattered world, this broken world, God gave us His Son. Our sin keeps us from being in right standing with God. Because of your sin, because of my sin, we deserve an eternity in hell. But God loves us. Even though we're wicked and our hearts are selfish, these terrible things, He loves us. And He gave His Son, Jesus, to bear the punishment that we deserve. 
Jesus, who lived a sinful or a sinless life, is the only sacrifice that could have been made that would have satisfied that debt. The debt that I owe and you owe. Jesus, who would be beaten and shamed and mocked and nailed to a cross, did so because God loves us. We have a future. We have eternity in the presence of God because of His goodness and because of His love. These very things that we see in verse 5 should refocus our worship. But we're not done. Verse 5 finishes with the truth of God's faithfulness, that, that it continues through all generations. This, brothers and sisters, is a truth that you should cling to tightly. God is always faithful to His covenantal promises. And what we read here is those promises are being extended beyond the covenant that He made with Israel to all the nations. That is you and me. This should bring great joy in us. God in His goodness, in His love, and in His faithfulness provides us with salvation and creates in us a desire to worship. So how do we do that? Well, this brings us to those seven commands that we see. Look back at verse 1 with me. Shout for joy, all the earth. And verse 1 is actually just repeating from, from Psalm 98, verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. First in jubilant song and music. As, as a parent of children in the children's choir... I stand and I watch with great joy as my children stand up front and sing. But like every other parent of children in children's choir, I say to them, why don't you smile while you're up there singing? Look happy. Well, I want you to know that I took a picture of everybody singing this morning, and we're going to put it up. No, we don't look happy all the time when we sing either. We, we tend to look to worship and shout sometimes without great joy. It's, it's, not always, it's not always easy. There are times where it's important for my voice to be heard. Different situations warrant different types of tones. When I need to be heard or when I want to be heard or understood, I, I have the ability to do so. Um, a couple examples, uh, graduation ceremonies. Uh, it brings me great joy to shout, um, encouraging things to people as they walk across the stage. That moment where everybody else is being respectful, I like to yell something to them. When I'm, when I'm coaching and in the midst of practice or a game and I want my voice to be heard over all others, I'm loud. My players and everybody else in the gym, and sometimes even those outside of the gym, can hear me. Our house is not big, but there are times when I request the presence of a child, and I need to call for them. Children don't always listen, so I'm loud. I'm sure I'm not alone in the ability to be loud. I'm loud probably more than I need to be. But I get pretty quiet in my worship. When we think of worship, do we think about raising our voices to God? Not to draw attention onto ourselves, but, 
but because we cannot be quiet. The, the words here, the words that we see here, shout for joy, it's, 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 it's calling for a glad shout, a, a trumpet call, a battle cry. God is with us, and often our tendency is to be quiet. Shout for joy. And verse 2, we continues that we're supposed to worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. It's easier to shout with joy when you're singing joyful things. Worship with the Lord with gladness. It, it, it is about praising God. We can do and glorify God when we give honor and adoration to Him because He is good, because He is loving, and because He is faithful. And because He's God. Worship is giving God what is due Him. A.W. Tozer wrote that God wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration, ad, ad, adoration and admire, to admire Him, of which He is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Are you astonished by God? Are you amazed at His splendor this morning? Did you provide Him with adoration this week? I mean, it's easy for us to be astonished and amazed, to show adoration. But who or what is it directed towards? I mean, those are the words that people use to celebrate a basketball player, an 18-year-old kid. Maybe we need to refocus our worship. Because when we do, we'll have a burning desire to come before Him with joyful songs. You cannot help but be joyful. Our shouts lead to singing. We use music to express ourselves often. And this is because God has created in us in, in such a way that we're drawn to musical expression. Love, joy, gladness, pain, heartbreak. There's, there's songs for it. We see the use of song throughout the pages of Scripture. The very book we find ourselves in this morning, the book of Psalms, is a hymnal. Think about how much time is devoted in our service, our worship time together, with music and singing. And don't, don't lose sight of the fact that that is, that is something that is specifically thought about and planned. But where we need to be careful is that we, we often find ourselves worshiping the music instead of the God that we're worshiping too. Music does indeed stir our emotions. It helps us express ourselves. But music itself is not worship. John MacArthur wrote a very lengthy quote that I find worthy for this. Music and liturgy can assist or express a worshiping heart. But they cannot make a non-worshiping heart into a worshiping one. 
the danger is that they can give a non-worshipping heart the sense of having worshipped. So the crucial factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship, but the state of the hearts of the saints. If our corporate worship isn't the expression of our own individual worshiping lives, it is unacceptable. If you think you can live any way you want and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn on worship with the saints, you're wrong. If you think you can live any way you want and still turn that on, you're wrong. And perhaps for some of you, that's the focus that needs to change. But we're not done. Verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. As we continue to look at refocusing our worship, we need to pause here. Know that the Lord is God. Know who you're worshiping. We're worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. We need to remind ourselves who God is. And as we think of him... As we think of Him, we need to remind ourselves of who we are. He is the shepherd which makes us the sheep. And we love this image. Oh, we love this image because little lambs are so cute and sheep are so fluffy. And we have such a romantic notion about all of it. These, these sheep bounding through the pasture and the shepherd looking on with a great smile of, no, sheep are not smart animals. This is not an awe moment. This is not meant to be an awe moment. We are in desperate need of Him. Sheep cannot figure things out on their own. He is the leader. And we are His people. He's the Creator and we have been created. You are dependent on Him for everything. You only have breath today in your lungs because He allows it. The sun is in the sky because he holds it there. You don't control any of this. Blood flows through you, not because of anything you're doing. This pause, this acknowledgement of who God really is, sets our minds on him. And when our minds are on him, the worship that flows from us is sweet and honoring to him. He is good, He is loving, and He is forever faithful, and we are His creation, and we are commanded to know that He is God. Verse 4 reads, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. It's about coming from the outside and entering in. Moving closer into the presence with God. Recognizing that there is a sense of access in this verse. We are allowed to enter in. You can come to Him. 
You're allowed inside. I watched, and it felt like slow motion as the door of the car slowly slammed shut and the shimmer of the keys were still hanging in the ignition. Oh, that moment. If you've lived that moment, then you understand the weight of that moment. The door goes closed and you frantically try to open it as if it wasn't locked. And there it goes, just sitting there, running, mocking you. Can't get in. You want back into the warmth of the car, and there's nothing you can do. This is not what we see here. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You're, you're, you're not stuck outside you're you're welcomed in you we're not being excluded but you're being told to enter and and maybe you need to hear that this morning maybe maybe that's where your refocus comes maybe you need to be reminded that it's okay for you to enter into his presence recognize that it is not you that it's his son oh but but brothers and sisters you're invited Through the death of His Son, Jesus, you have been invited in. By accepting that gift of salvation, you can enter. There's no longer rooms that you can't enter. There's no longer a a curtain that separates us. And let's not miss the fact that that you're not just called to enter, but you're called to enter with praise. Our praises help to create an atmosphere of worship. We, we enter in with praises on our lips and joy on our hearts because He is good and He is loving and He is faithful. This is what, what leads us to giving Him thanks. We enter in with thanksgiving and we are to give Him thanks. I mean, it's not, it's not by mistake that it's written this way where you see thanksgiving in one line and two lines down there it talks about giving Him thanks. There's a reason for this. It's so you see it. Don't miss the importance of that. Giving Him thanks and approaching Him with a humble heart. Being thankful for what He provides for us, what He gives for us. And we see this with the final command as well. Praise His name. We enter the courts with praise and we we praise Him. Keep in mind that the word praise is to kneel. This brings about a sense of honor and respect. True worship, honest worship, includes an understanding of, of who God is. And if we understand who God is, then we will find ourselves being humble and praising Him. This is often where our refocus needs to be. Oh, I like to elevate myself. I don't like to kneel. When we pause to know God, it leads us into our our thankful hearts and praise flows from us. True heartfelt worship is based on His goodness and His love and His faithfulness. talk around the basketball world right now is Zion Williamson. 
a little bit of LeBron James, but Zion Williamson. They speak about him as if there have been no others. Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. There's always a next great player. There's always more to come. But there's only one God. There's only one Son, and there is only one Spirit. Zion played for 30 seconds in a game. That's all he could do. That's as long as he lasted. God is faithful forever. Perhaps our worship needs to be dialed in a little tighter. Our vision made a little clearer. For the Lord is good. The Lord endures forever and His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful. Oh, Father, we are thankful for You. We are thankful that You, in Your goodness and kindness, have, have created us and created this world. Father, You sustain and hold things together. Father, we recognize, we confess that we like to think that we do things or we have a part in this, but, but we confess and recognize that we do not. The control that we think we have isn't ours. We're not just fluffy, cute sheep. We're dumb sheep. Would we be reminded about this daily? Would we recognize and pause and, and, and confess that you are God and we are not? We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that, that you are faithful to us. Father, we, we give you thanks this morning for these things. We thank you for this, these truths that we could talk about. But, Father, we, we recognize, we do recognize that this is only through your Son. Father, I pray, I pray, Father, that, that those who do not yet call him Savior, oh, they, would, they would be open. They'd be willing, they would desire to enter in, that you would continue to work in their hearts, that they would be drawn to you, and that someday, Father, they would call your Son Lord. Father, would you help us refocus our worship as we move ahead? Would we continue to build upon this foundation? Would we hold strong to it? Father, we thank you for this building. We thank you for these Uh, all these men and women that we sit shoulder to shoulder with. Father, it is joy to come together and worship you as a body. Would we be more thankful for what you have given us? Would we be more willing to, to notice the love that you shower us with? And Father, would we be able to speak about your faithfulness to those that we see and those that we know? Father, we love you. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.